0: episode 86 of the british podcast award nominated podcast proper mental (laughs) yeah so if you've been keeping an eye on my socials over the last week or so you will see that i've been nominated for awards at the british podcast awards man um i'm absolutely over the moon i'm really really chuffed i wasn't expecting it at all and the really lovely thing about it is that I'm nominated in the Bullseye Awards category, and that's a category that honours the podcasts that are producing exceptional listening experiences for niche audiences and those that are underrepresented in other British media. So the fact that The Proper Mental Podcast is doing that in any way, shape or form is... um. Yeah, it's just wonderful, man. It just, um, yeah, it fills my soul. So yeah, it's a really lovely thing that's happened recently. And it's probably only happened because um, loads of lovely guests are agreeing to come on and loads of lovely people are listening to it. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much if you've done either of those things. It really is appreciated. Anyway, back to business. This is episode 86 of The Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Jimmy Whiteman. He's a meditation teacher. He's the founder of Delve Deep Meditation School in Brighton. And he's very well known on social media as that meditation guy. And Jimmy came to meditation while looking for something to help him out with crippling insomnia that was impacting his life. And he tried all the usual books and CDs and apps and nothing quite stuck, but he stayed with it. And eventually he found the right teacher in the right place and something clicked and his insomnia cleared up. And he started to view the world a bit differently. Things started to change for him. And that set him off on a path of traveling and exploring and testing out all different types of meditation as well as studying the science and the philosophies behind them. And that's really why I wanted to chat to Jimmy for the podcast. I've followed him on social media for a long time. His content is fantastic. And meditation is such a common self-care tool. You know, it's proven to have a positive effect on mental well-being. But I don't always think people know why it's so good for us, or, you know, what happens when we do it, or, you know, what the idea behind meditation is. And so many people have tried and can't stick with it for a lot of reasons. So I thought it'd be really useful to get Jimmy on to kind of guide me through the whole process. So Jimmy takes me through his experiences with insomnia and how that led him to find meditation. We talk about how that started to change his life and what he got from it initially. And then he kind of takes me through a bit of a guide, really, of the different styles of meditation, what they involve, what meditation can do for us and the positive and negative side effects of a regular practice, because it's not all rosy, and we want to show both sides of the coin, really. So anything that we need to look out for, or maybe bear in mind when we're getting into meditation, we talk about that stuff too. It was awesome to chat to Jimmy. He's a really lovely bloke, and he just he just loves what he does so much. And I, whenever I speak to people who have that passion for what they do, I always find it really, really inspiring. There's so many people I've talked to on this podcast that have a regular meditation practice. It's not something I've managed to get hold of myself. I tend to meditate when I need it, but I'd really love to be that person who meditates every day. I have just haven't quite managed to get myself there. And I think that's quite common with a lot of people. So I'm hoping that you get a lot out of this episode, no matter what stage you are at on your meditation journey. And if you're a bit curious, it's probably worth a listen to. And if you like this episode, there's a few others you might like where I do similar things about different things that are good for our mental well-being. I've done an episode about running. With Jess Robson from Run Talk Run, I spoke to Dr. Brendan Stubbs, who is a world lead in the research of physical activity and the positive impact that can have on mental health and mental wellbeing. I spoke to Joanna Basford about creativity and how being creative in general, but more specifically with colouring in, how that can have a good impact on our mental health. I have spoke to Jasmine Seddon from the Happy Chili Dippers, which is a very large uh, cold water community here on the Wirral. And we talked about the power of community and the power of cold water. And I'm sure there's a few others in there as well. Also, I suppose if there's anything you'd like me to record an episode about, give me a shout and I'll see if I can find someone to kind of guide me through it. Anyway, if you'd like to connect with jimmy you can go to his website delvedeep.com or i'd highly recommend giving him a follow on social media at that meditation guy his content is fantastic if you'd like to get hold of me at proper mental podcast in all the usual places if you want to reach out drop me an email through the connect page on my website propermentalpodcast.com and if you could leave me a review it would be very much appreciated i'm kind of doing this thing i'm trying to hit 50 reviews there's a lot of guests that when you approach them to come on you have to have a minimum amount of five star reviews i'm up to 44 50 seems to be a very common cut off for approaching these guests so um i need six more and if you could help me out i would be very very grateful so thank you very much in advance but anyway here we go this is episode 86 of the award nominated proper mental podcast don't worry i'm not going to say that every time and my guest this week is jimmy white thank you very much for listening enjoy so here we are with another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest today is jimmy whiteman how are you mate i'm great thank you yeah good to be here Oh, mate, thank you very much for joining me. I really, really um appreciate your time. I kind of think the best place probably to start is is with you, mate, and your your journey into meditation and to what you do now. Um, I think because you've because you've created your life around having a, a meditation practice, I've I've got to
1: assume that it must have had a big impact on you when you uh, when you discovered it, mate. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, strangely enough, I guess you could say the whole thing started. When I got into the nightclubbing and DJing world in my early 20s, because that was great fun and I had a lot of good times and a lot of good memories. But as some of your listeners will know, if you party too hard for too long, you can end up coming out of that with some mental health problems. And for me, after a good, you know, five to ten years of partying pretty hard, I ended up with a fairly chronic insomnia problem which led to some bouts of depression as well. And in my family and the way I was kind of brought up, it would never have occurred to me to go to a therapist or anything like that. I feel differently now, but that's how I felt back then. So I just went looking online for how to solve these problems. And I kept finding that meditation was coming up as a potential cure for various things like like, uh, insomnia, like depression. And I thought oh that sounds like something I could do on my own I can just solve these problems you know very (laughs) macho attitude to the whole thing. (laughs) Um, So I started out with guided meditation audio CDs for sleep I think that was the first thing I ever bought and ever tried off eBay or something and it kind of worked one night but then it wouldn't work the next and then the next night I'd I'd think oh I don't want to listen to that thing again but it was a good place to get started and so I I carried on trying more things like this but nothing really had a lasting impact so I ended up signing up for a course called mindfulness-based stress reduction which is uh, a classroom-based course eight weeks and that was really good actually because it Gave me a new way of understanding my mind. It taught me how to meditate on the breath. Um, gave me a bit of an introduction to yoga uh, in terms of the postures. And that was all very science-based. There was no spirituality involved. So I, I like that. But what I found is once the course had ended, um, I didn't stick with it very much. <laughs> I can't explain exactly why, but I found that after a few weeks, I was skipping the meditations and I started to drift back to uh, drinking myself to sleep pretty much in the evenings which you know isn't great when you wake up the next morning and isn't very productive so I carried on looking for what other meditation styles were out there and I found one close to where I used to live in West London a woman teaching something called Vedic meditation which I'd never heard of but according to the website it was all very scientific and That really mattered to me at the time because I kind of um, saw myself as a a real atheist, not just, (laughs) I don't know if there's a God. I was like a Richard Dawkins reading, Sam Harris loving, there is no God kind of person. (laughs) So anything spiritual, I just thought it was childish, probably because I was um, brought up religious and I even had monks at my school, you see. So I rejected all of that side of it. But I just thought, oh, it's mental training so anyway I tell you this because I ended up going to this uh, Vedic meditation course and there I am giving an offering of fruit and flowers to a picture of a guru while this lady singing in Sanskrit lighting candles and waving sandalwood you know burning sandalwood and all sorts and I was thinking what am I doing here you know it just felt like this this is just so strange and um this is just not needed you know I had a real aversion to the whole thing but I paid the money and it was non-refundable so I just decided to give it a go (laughs)
0: might as well right yeah
1: (laughs) and see, see if it worked because really all I cared about was that it would work and you know I didn't know that these things came from ancient spiritual cultures so um so yeah I just I got on with it and in fact the teaching was really down to earth once that side of it was over the teaching was really down to earth and sure enough after four days about two hours a day just over a kind of long weekend we got the teaching we got given a mantra we got shown how to use it and after the four days my insomnia was completely cured I literally went home and felt so tired that I went to bed at about 9 p.m and then slept through the night so deeply, that I woke up full of energy the next day at 6am. And I just thought, this is it. I found the thing. I hope this doesn't, I hope it isn't a fluke. I've just got to keep doing this really seriously. And so that's what happened. I just made sure I did it every day, 20 minutes, twice a day, keep going, keep going, keep going. And after a couple of years, I just felt like it was getting better and better. My insomnia problem was, was cleared up. My relationship with alcohol switched quite nicely from, um, I could just, from being like, I need that in a social situation, or I need that to get me to sleep, to just being, oh, I can take it or leave it. So it's quite nice. I never had to say, oh, I'll never have that. You know If I go to a wedding, I have some champagne or whatever, it's not just not an issue in my life anymore. So that's nice. And various other aspects as well. But ultimately, it was a, a feeling that I can't explain started to grow somewhat in the background, a feeling of peace and easiness about life in general and about how my mind felt. I didn't have to constantly be plugged into a podcast or a, <laughs> no offense, but or, or music or TV, you know, to, to take my mind away from my own inner world, which is how it was previously. So, yeah, just being able to sit quietly without being sort of bullied by my own thoughts, it was a huge revelation. So at this point, I switched away from I'm using this to solve my problems and fix my life to switching to how good can this get? What will happen if I go on a meditation retreat and do hours of this? You know, what will happen if I do some more courses? What, what, where can this go? And what other styles of meditation are out there? Started to think like this. And so that's what led me onto the journey. You know, next minute I was signing up for retreats, doing um, mixing breath work and yoga with meditation, other retreats, which are very strict, you know, 10 hours of perfect posture, sitting with no back support um, every day for 10 days in silence. Those kind of things, very different to what I teach, but a fascinating lesson in what what's going on with the mind and what's possible. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, the journey just just took on a life of its own from there. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it really led
0: you to some quite um, you know, fascinating and unusual um, places with various like retreats and different methods and all that sort of stuff, mate. Quite a like a, a literal journey as well as a uh, an inner journey, you know.
1: Yeah, and also I should say, this is when I started to switch away from being that kind of hardcore atheist, anything spiritual is silly, and I started to recognise, oh, actually the cultures and the spiritual systems that these things grew out of have a lot of validity to them, and I was wrong to write them off in that way. And in fact, I now recognise that the little ceremony that that lady did, uh, that I talked about earlier... It's called a puja ceremony. It's a completely normal thing in India. It's a way of showing respect to the teachers up the line who brought this practices, you know, to us over thousands of years, passed down in lineages. And so my my feelings about all that completely transformed as well. And I um I think I feel like it was, you know, it was a very blinkered way to see it. So I'm I'm much more open to these kinds of ideas and these things now. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose the the spiritual aspect around meditation, I think that's kind of one of the bigger
0: stumbling blocks, right, for people to to access in some sort of regular practice, because there is that element people are quite put off by, um, you know, woo woo or mumbo jumbo or whatever you want, want to call it. But I suppose if some of these practices are so old, like tens of thousands of years and like they didn't have MRI scanners to put people in. Now we've got the science, right, to back some of this stuff up, to say this is how it works. But I suppose they didn't have those back then. But it must have worked because then for thousands of years, it carried on, people carried on practicing and carried on exploring and, and learning. So it's almost like they did it without the science. So the, the, the spiritual stuff is as much part of it as, the, you know, as the, the more like technical scientific aspect, if that makes any sense at all.
1: I do know what you mean yeah yeah well it's a bit different in the east because I'm going to be very you know uh, broad in what I say here but they're using meditation back in the old days to try and understand themselves very deeply and also to understand the nature of reality so you kind of take out the faith element which is what I didn't like about the, the religion I was brought up with I was just told you're supposed to believe this and there you go don't question it Whereas in the East, in these traditions where there's meditation, it's the opposite. They say, go away and do these practices and see what you can discover and see if you find that reality is the way that your teachers are saying. So there's this practical element. Um, so I I never meant to get into that, really. I just wanted to feel good. But then I started to have experiences which couldn't be explained scientifically and didn't make any sense to my current worldview. And then I did find that there they were talked about in ancient spiritual texts from the East. And it was like, oh, okay, my entire paradigm has to shift now in order to (laughs) include these new experiences and understandings and insights. Yeah. And as you found
0: yourself like starting to, to change and kind of look at the world around you differently, look at yourself differently and experience things differently, I suppose. Did you have to kind of like adjust a little bit? Back to you, back to you know your real world. Because I always think when we go through change, no matter how big or how small, we don't always fit exactly into the same space that we left when we started to to change. Did you, did you kind of have to like adjust yourself into like how you went about
1: day to day life? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, when I first started to become a teacher and started posting about this, um, I felt very like self conscious about it especially when my old friends were starting to see it because they knew me as you know the hard partying drinking stay up all night after party um crazy guy and suddenly you know they're seeing these little uh, videos or pictures of me you know sitting in a meditative posture with my eyes closed (laughs) quoting you know um, buddhists and things like that and they're just like what's going on and (laughs) yeah I did feel very self-conscious about that at first but at the same time I just felt like well everything I'm saying makes sense to me and it seems to be resonating with other people as well so I'll just carry on down this road and see where it takes me and if you know when my friends did make jokes about it I just laugh it off because it was fine and in fact it turns out that all of that stuff was just in my head all my friends were like really supportive if they did make jokes they were generally good-natured and yeah it was it was more my own conditioning that was causing the problem I'd played a certain character for so long that it was uncomfortable to step out of it um.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely it's quite often why people like choose to stay where they are isn't it it's because of the discomfort of that change and um i suppose having a meditation practice can help you navigate that change right so help you kind of um get an idea about you know what you think and how you feel about stuff and how much of it is societal how much of it is bolted on and i suppose yeah you have a deeper understanding of yourself then it's easier to navigate these uh navigate your way in the world navigate
1: these these big changes i suppose oh that's definitely true yeah I don't think you ever quite get to the bottom of it because what makes you you is so many things all coming together all at once and combining in a way that's so viscous that pulling it apart is actually quite difficult. But you can do that to quite a high degree with meditation. And some meditation styles are better that, are better at that than others. But at some point, yeah, you do realize that oh, okay, this this discomfort I'm feeling in this situation is because of my conditioning. And it is possible just to either let that go, or just to let it be there, but not let it push me um, or pull me in any particular direction. Meditation is really, really good for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I suppose that's another big misconception about it, right? So a lot of people I speak to, if if they've tried something, and it hasn't quite worked for them, a lot of people say, oh, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't empty my mind, I couldn't switch off, I couldn't stop thinking, but that's not the, the aim of meditation, right? Is it the, the, the you're, not, you're not trying to get into some blank fugue state, am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, I
1: think that's, that's absolutely true. There's loads of different styles of meditation. So um, it's hard to sort of sum it up in one sentence, but generally speaking, the way that you can think of thoughts in terms of the practice is that you can't switch them off, really not for any extended length of time anyway. So you do just have to work with the mind as it is, the mind that you've got. And if your mind happens to be busy when you're meditating, then you have to find peace with that. And if it does calm down and it does go blank, well, that's kind of seen as a bonus. Um, But a lot of people do meditate and then get wrapped up in the idea that the experience they're having isn't the right one. (laughs) but of course there's no other way it could possibly be that's their mind in that moment and it's acting uh, on its own regardless of their wishes in a sense Um, so yeah it's it's funny really once you once you learn how to let that go and just to work with the mind that you've got everything gets easier and uh, everything tends to settle down naturally also a lot of thoughts that do come up are simply a reaction to you resting deeply so that the body feels quite safe and then it starts to bring up old unprocessed emotions that are stored in the mind-body system in order to feel feel them and then release them and so when you do have uncomfortable thoughts and emotions in meditation or even sometimes just random thoughts that is the process working perfectly nothing is going wrong and nothing needs to be fixed it is the process of the mind body system working stuff out uh under this uh, behind the scenes you could say yeah i suppose we're so like modern life is built to distract
0: whether we know it or not like everything from you know netflix and social media and it's completely possible to go weeks on end with ever like taking a moment to tune into yourself and something that i i found when i was struggling with my mental health was that i I didn't even know that was the norm for me was to just to keep spinning all these plates all the time. And I didn't even know I was supposed to be feeling stuff. You know, I was just like consuming, consuming, consuming all this different stuff. And I now look at oh, crikey. Well, for that period, I was eating my feelings and for that period I was Instagramming my feelings. And, um, but yeah, but it can be, it can be quite scary, right? The first time that we, um we drop into stillness for the first time, it's like, it's, it's, it can be quite a scary place for people, can't it? When we first, something pops up and you think, oh, hang on, I've been burying that for a long time, even though you didn't know you were burying it, <laughs> but it's still got to come up eventually, eh?
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's so common. If I teach uh, a group of people, there'll always be a few in there that have something. It might be some old memories, some old difficult thing come up or something that's happening in their life at the moment that really comes up. But sometimes what comes up isn't attached to anything specific. So sometimes people will meditate and they'll say to me, oh my god I just couldn't stop crying but I didn't feel sad and I don't know what it was related to and I'll say well it was something that was held in the mind-body system that just had to come up and be felt and released something that you didn't manage to feel and process when it happened the first time round but of course it's (laughs) now it's been come up and re-experienced but without the actual event being attached to it. So, you know, whatever the event was, it's just kind of lost in the annals of time, but the feelings were still there and now you've got rid of those. So it's very strange how it all all works, but if you keep going and you allow that process to just happen, eventually it kind of resolves itself. And so you go through a period at the beginning where you're feeling a lot and it can be a bit intense, it just kind of stabilizes after a while and then the meditation gets easier and easier the process is still going on but it's just not as uh, full force it is as it is right at the beginning yeah
0: yeah i mean how you describe that then that sounds it sounds really nice it sounds really um yeah really cleansing you know really just to be able to kind of like yeah let some of that that stuff that stuff up i think i could see why that would be like really really powerful but you mentioned earlier um like there's many different styles of of meditation. Are there a couple that you could maybe um, tell me about that are a bit more commonplace or that have a bit more sort of research behind them maybe?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'll give you the four most scientifically researched, as far as I can tell anyway. (laughs) So yeah, these are the ones that crop up if you go digging around in all the papers and things like that. So the first one would be focused attention. And that's what most people think of as meditation. Um, it's what tends to come up in the apps as well. It's where you're sitting, focusing something, usually the breath, but it could be anything, could be sounds, could be body sensations. And when you get distracted, you notice and then you bring your attention back to the object of focus and you carry on. And this way you train yourself to stay with a particular object, and you will become quite good at not being distracted. And if you do this, if you're quite good at this, it can also lead to deep relaxation and it can calm your mind, it can calm your nervous system. So it's a really, really nice style of meditation. Lots of people find it difficult because they feel that the when they are distracted or when they are pulled away from the object of focus by thoughts, they feel that they're somehow failing, but it's not the case at all. You can think of it as like being in the gym, you lift the weight, but you drop the weight to lift it again. Every time you're distracted is dropping the weight. (laughs) So, you know, it's not just about being perfect straight away. It's a process and um, it will unfold over time. So that's number one. The second type of meditation that crops up a lot in the scientific research is called open monitoring. And that's where you're not actually staying with any particular object of focus at all. You pretty much just sit there and do nothing and watch what comes up. If something arises, you just observe it non-judgmentally. Um, there's a, a number of ways of doing this. It can be quite difficult, but it can also be quite easy if you, if you have a system of how to um, label the various things that come up. Personally, if I teach that, I teach people to label everything either see, hear, or feel, because everything that comes up in your experience can land in one of those categories, either a seeing experience. Even if you've got your eyes closed, you might see colours or shapes or some old memory pops in. That's a seeing experience. You don't have to get caught up in the what it means. You just get, you just recognise what it is. Just a seeing experience. Um, similarly, you know, um, body sensations. That's a feeling experience. You might feel an itch on your foot and you'd label it a feeling experience or you might feel an emotion like worry or jealousy, just a feeling experience. Don't get caught up in the story of what it means, just recognize what it is. (laughs) Um, So see here, or yeah, so here is the third one. Um, A hearing experience could be you're hearing rain outside or something like that, but also That little voice in your head sometimes talks to you, says mean things sometimes, or sometimes it just says boring stuff like, oh, I'm hungry, you know. That's a hearing experience as well. You don't have to get sucked into what it means or interacting with it. You can just go, oh, hearing experience, that little voice in my head, you know. And so you can, it's like you step back from the sense experience and just recognize what's going on at each particular sense gate. And this is very powerful because when you leave the meditation and you go about in your life and something bad and stressful happens, you can switch back into that mode and go, hang on a minute, voice in my head, hearing experience, it's creating a difficult and uncomfortable sensation in my body, but okay, it's a feeling experience. You can relax into it. You're used to stepping back and seeing the true picture of what's happening in your reality. So I I really love that kind of meditation.
0: Yeah, like, um, step, I suppose, stepping away from that autopilot that makes us kind of react and then, you know, and afterwards and you say, oh, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Is it kind of is that kind of what you meant, like catching that in the moment and just letting it be rather than being driven by it?
1: Yeah, you can you can just step back and recognize that. Um you don't have to be caught up in the drama and the story of what's happening in life. Yeah. You, you still have to deal with the problems. Of course, you know, I had my car stolen earlier and I'm going to have to still call the police. I can't just like meditate the problem away, but I don't have to get caught up in a whole big drama about, oh, why me? It's so unfair. This shouldn't have happened. <laughs> you know, That's all a hearing experience and the feeling in my body of like, you know, big tension. I can recognize that as a feeling experience and work with letting that go. So it, it will there are some things which will come in life, some things that will come around in life, which will knock you for six. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm never stressed out or anything like that. But these tools are certainly helpful for helping you get through these uh, difficult problems, difficult times as they come up in daily life.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds powerful. That sounds really <laughs> just a really lovely, lovely way to be. Yeah, and that was number two, Jimmy. Yeah, that was
1: number two. So number three is loving kindness meditation, also known as metta. In the, that's the Pali word for it. Very big in uh, Buddhist circles, and the way you would do this would be you would use a visualization. So let's say I was to visualize uh, my grandmother or somebody like that. And then I would imagine sending her loving, kind intentions. And I would do that by way of an affirmation. It's lots of different affirmations, but an example would be something like, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be free from harm, may you live your life with ease. That's a classic loving kindness affirmation. And so you're cultivating these feelings of love and kindness And then you're imagining projecting them onto someone. Now, I could do that for my grandmother very easily. She's not around anymore, but just thinking about her makes me feel good. But then in the Buddhist world, what you would do is you would then switch from doing that to switch to putting those kind, loving intentions on another person who you don't have particularly good feelings for. Maybe it's just a stranger or somebody who serves you coffee. And then you would try and remove that again to an enemy or somebody who is difficult in your life. It's not that you're trying to pretend you don't feel the feelings that you feel about the person, but you are trying to get to a place where you recognize that you are both really just the same. You're both human beings and you both just want to be happy ultimately. And you both have different ways of getting there. So you can cultivate these loving kind feelings for basically everyone around you. And I mean, this, this practice goes back, you know, many thousands of years. And it's just a, a way of ideally, I think Buddha probably was trying to just make the world a better place by passing on this kind of a practice. And what's great is scientifically, it's proven to um, activate and enlarge the parts of your brain that are controlling feelings of love and compassion and kindness. So it's literally making that, those muscles stronger in the mind
0: yeah that's um yeah that's powerful stuff isn't it it's like it is literally changing your your chemistry your brain and how and how things work yeah yeah it's changing you literally yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah i suppose so yeah and that was that that was the third one there's one more jimmy you said so there's um, one
1: more this is what i teach i call this uh, deep meditation but it goes under various other names but essentially what you do is you use an ancient sanskrit mantra which is like a soothing sound with a vibrational quality. The most famous mantra that everybody all knows from uh, yoga class is OM, the OM mantra. Now I wouldn't use that one, but it's a good example. And you hold the mantra in the mind in a very specific way, it's effortless. So you hold this mantra in an effortless way, in a delicate way, and this will soothe the mind. It sort of calms the nervous system. And it allows you to sort of fall into a state that's very, very restful. So you're not concentrating and you're not focusing and you're not being non-judgmental or witnessing or anything like that. You're just using the mantra in an effortless way in order to allow the mind to find its own peace and contentment um, in a way without you kind of getting involved, without your active thinking, cognitive process involved, you know? Um, Mm. So Yeah, this is the meditation that turned things around for me and really helped me. And this is what I tend to teach other people um, on the course that I do. I mean, I teach a few different styles of meditation, but this is the one that um, tends to have the biggest impact and the one that I focus on.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, Something that just kind of jumped out to me then as you were uh, going through those four different techniques was how how calming and restful um, they feel. Is it similar if we if you build up a regular practice, I suppose, to um, just giving the, the nervous system a good rest, which is ultimately what we're trying to do when
1: we're when we're sleep? Is that like a, a thing with meditation as well? Well, yeah, the, the studies have shown that this kind of meditation that I'm teaching actually can give you a deeper rest than complete blackout sleep, amazingly. And I've noticed this. I mean, I've read the research and it seems to be true, but I've also noticed this in my own courses because I teach people this meditation and then they go away and they do it. And then sometimes they get in touch with me and they say, oh, I've uh, just been looking at my health stats from my Apple watch or from my Garmin watch or, you know, wristband or whatever. And I had this meditation this morning and I thought it was nothing special. I was just going through the process. But then when I look back at the stats, I realized that I was resting more deeply than during the deepest point of my sleep. And I've had this probably like four times now from people without even asking for it. They've just noticed and they've got in touch and told me. Now, it's not <laughs> a big shock to me because I've read the research that said this is what this meditation is supposed to do. And the theory is that you're sat there, you're sat upright, you're meditating, you're being effortless with the mantra. and the mind is resting deeply, but it's still alert enough to send a message to the body to say, Hey, listen, I'm still online. I'm still on lookout. So you are safe to completely rest. I know, obviously, the mind and body don't talk to each other, but I'm just making the point. And so the body feels safe to rest very, very deeply because there's still a part of you that's online that's looking out for any potential dangers. Because also, although we have very easy lives these days our wiring is still very much like our ancestors who lived in caves and were getting stalked by saber-toothed tigers and things so you'd be an evolutionary liability if you could go to bed at night and switch off your mind and body all at once completely so some things stay online even in deep sleep so this meditation is allowing the body to rest even more deeply than deep sleep and keeping you in a in a state where you're still alert, but you're in a kind of zone where it feels very calm and very relaxing and very easy.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating how all this comes from meditation, from just like being within yourself, because we kind of, we always look for, like if we have trouble sleeping, we go straight for the supplement. If we have trouble doing something else, we go straight for the the gadget, the, you know, there's always the thing that we try and, um, but this seems to be ticking a lot of boxes from just, just being still right just being within within yourself yeah that's um wow that's really powerful man that sound i'm feeling really inspired that's uh it was lovely to hear you, the way that you talked about those things you know it just sounded really restful and really calming and um, <laughs> yeah that's lovely have you got any um i um ideas about kind of building um a regular practice, because I think that seems to be another barrier between people taking up meditation, you know, oh, I don't have the time or, you know, I can't do it and those sorts of things. And I kind of think about this from my own point of view, because because I talk about this stuff a lot, people always say to me, oh, you know, do you meditate and stuff like that? And I always say the same thing. I say I'd love to be that person who meditates every day but but I'm not I tend to go for it when I feel I need it you know so rather than it being a a daily practice it when I feel life's speeding up it's something I almost like a self-care tool you know um but I think it's quite hard for people to kind of start to incorporate it regularly on a daily basis into their into their lives have you got any um any ideas that you know for people to start doing that
1: yeah what I recommend is go for 20 minutes twice a day and I know that's quite a big commitment, but that's also a small enough amount of time that most people can fit into their life. And it's a big enough hit to actually bring about some really noticeable, powerful changes. So it seems to be a sweet spot that people can keep up. And I recommend doing it first thing in the morning before breakfast, because you don't want to meditate on a full stomach. So if people can just wake up half an hour early, then get your meditation in. Maybe you wake up, clean your teeth just to wake yourself up a little bit, or maybe you wake up and shower, but get the meditation in before breakfast. If you can make that a non-negotiable habit, then it will just stick because after a while, once you've done that for a couple of months and then you decide not to bother anymore, you'll notice the difference and you'll go back to it. (laughs) So if you can just keep it up for a while, you'll start to really miss it when you don't do it. That's a
0: Sorry, that's just a really interesting way of, um, of thinking about it because like sometimes things, um, it's not, we're all, how can I, what's the best way to put it? If you start going to the gym, you're going to start seeing the results pretty quick, but sometimes with something that's, there's no tangible thing, right? So it, it takes a while for us to realize that, um, that the, the results are, are sinking in, that we're getting something out of it.
1: Well, I find that different types of meditation suit different people. So sometimes I'll get somebody on one of my courses who they do a little um, questionnaire before they come on so I can get an idea of who's on the course. And it'll say, oh, I've been meditating for 15 years and I've done you know, retreats and all sorts, but it's all been in one style of meditation. And then on my course, they only spend six hours with me, but they'll get a different kind of meditation that they never experienced. And suddenly it's like, wow, okay, I didn't realize it could be like this. And it's not that it's necessarily better or it's, um, or they were doing the wrong thing before. It's just opening them up to a a different experience. And um, yeah, I find that people find this particular kind of meditation with the mantra very easy because you're meditating on a thought rather than on an external object and something about that just seems to hit the spot for a lot of people maybe it's not for everyone but it does seem to have a really broad appeal
0: yeah sure and so, starting off with with 20 minutes um twice a day is the is the way to go building that first
1: one in as as the habit yeah and then the second one if you can do it any time after lunch is digested that's great because again you don't want to meditate on a full stomach but if you get it in early in the day then you'll get to have the rest of your day with that calm, energized, peaceful, relaxed, but also creative feeling um, rather than just doing it before you go to bed and sleeping through all that, you see. So I say creative, sorry, because when you rest deeply and then you come out of that and you go back into your life, you'll find you have access to creative ideas and resources that probably weren't there before. Um, That's why this meditation is really popular with lots of, um, creative types artists musicians people like that big in hollywood <laughs> right, yeah. um, and so yeah if you can get the meditation in early you're much less likely to skip it because even i'm not turning off netflix to go meditate you know if i <laughs> when i'm sat with my wife and the fire's on and we're watching you know something on netflix i'm, I'm that's pretty much my day done so i like to get it done early you know i meditate sort of four o'clock-ish I quite like that particular time and that's often when people take a break at work anyway and go and eat some chocolate or have some more caffeine well if you can just do 15-20 minutes of meditation and if you know what you're doing and you get it right that will massively um, impact your state of consciousness and pump you through the rest of the day with much more ease than you would otherwise and so, yeah, a lot of people I, I teach have taken to that. Some, sometimes they have to like sneak out of work and they go and do it in the car or sometimes they go find a little spot, you know, a bench outside work or something to go and do it quickly and then come back in. But I think it's got a lot easier now. Everybody's on Zoom all the time. It just doesn't seem to be the problem that it used to be getting these things in.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I suppose if people are nipping out for cigarette breaks, right, and no one bats an eyelid, well, then surely you can uh, nip out to have a a health break instead, you know, it kind of makes, (laughs) that makes more, more sense to me. Yeah. Is it a common misconception do you find, Jimmy, about yourself that, um, you know, because you are that meditation guy, um, that, you know, that you never get angry and you never, uh, (laughs) you know, and do people kind of like assume that about you?
1: Uh, Maybe they do, but it doesn't come up that often. But because I talk so openly about how what I'm like I don't know it doesn't come up that much but yeah you certainly still will get angry and feel all those normal emotions that you felt before so it doesn't wipe that out it doesn't turn you into like an emotionless robot but the big difference is that that stuff isn't sticky anymore you don't get wrapped up in the story so yeah sure something bad might happen and you might have a bit of an emotional reaction to it but then it's gone and it's over and you're back to baseline much more quickly than you would be before so so yeah certainly not the case that my life is free from problems or I don't have any emotional reactions that's not true no but but yeah I don't suffer over it I suppose that's a nice way of saying it
0: yeah sure I mean we touched on briefly as well like things um like bubbling up emotions that we're not used to feeling and unexpected things coming up is there any other sort of um you know, I don't know, if, I don't know if I want to use the strong enough term as like negative side effects, but is there anything that people should be aware of if they're starting to um, build a regular practice that they should just sort of keep an eye out for?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, we already touched on it a bit. You know, if you, if you were to do my course, for example, and you were doing 20 minutes twice a day, that is definitely enough to create what we call the unstressing effect. So as you go through the course in your first week or maybe even first two weeks, you may have some side effects which are typically making you feel a bit more tired than normal or you might feel a bit fatigued or even a bit snappy or a bit emotional, you might find yourself crying at adverts (laughs) and that would be because you're just bringing to the surface some unconscious material that needs to be felt and released, processed that's completely normal. That's a good thing. And the mind-body system will just adjust fairly quickly, usually within a few days, and you won't find it so heavy. But you may still, from time to time, have meditations where some stuff comes up and that's all fine. As long as you know what's happening, you don't have to get caught up in what's coming up. You can just let it go. Um, So for most people doing small amounts of practice, that is the main thing that will that will come up it's you know unconscious material being felt and released now if you start doing a lot of meditation a couple of hours a day then you might find that you get some other side effects because your ego structure is suddenly going to be loosened up a bit and the way that you see and feel about yourself in the world as you've already known it might get shaken up a little bit and if you feel that then you do need to reach out to a teacher or to somebody um to get some advice, yeah, because it, it can be a bit disconcerting suddenly when you're, you've are wit- you start witnessing yourself in such a way that when you stop meditating and the witnessing is still on and you're so, <laughs> no longer as involved in life in the same way and your ego can certainly fight back against that and your mind can find it a bit confusing. But that's only really for most people who are pushing it in quite a serious way if you are doing a normal amount of meditation 20 minutes twice a day you probably won't have that and if you do all you need to do is just well if you have a teacher definitely reach out to them but if you don't you can just pull back on the amount of practice or even take a break most people find that it's not that overwhelming maybe there's some discomfort they push through because it's not dangerous in any way it's not worrying them too much And then it will all just resolve itself in most cases.
0: Yeah, sure. I suppose it's part of the process is, yeah, just learning how to, um, yeah, how to let that happen, right? How to, um, yeah, how to let it be. How to be at peace with your non-peace, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that could be really useful. I think when people are... Um, particularly if they're in a, a period of of poor mental health, you know, and was struggling and searching for for something, it can be. And I know, so again, something I experienced myself, you know, when I was started to look into meditation, it was like, right, I I was so desperate for help, you know, it was like I'm gonna. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate, you know, and it was almost like trying to, trying to force it. I was so desperate for something to, to reach in and, and save me. And I I was working it too hard. I wasn't letting it be, you know, I was trying to trying to force it and it was very, very uncomfortable. And I I became very fearful of it. And for a long time, I, I, I didn't have any sort of practice at all. And it was only when I was in a much on much firmer ground, I kind of went back to it and the difference, you know, going back to it just to kind of, just to experience it and just to be is very much different than trying to kind of like you know ride it till the wheels come off, so to speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I, th- I think people with mental health problems who are looking at meditation to solve those problems do have to be a bit cautious. Yeah, because it definitely can get a bit worse before it gets a bit better. If you have a teacher, they can help steer you through that. If you don't, then just make sure you start with small amounts of time and work up slowly and be very careful. If you have mental health problems, booking onto some kind of a retreat. Um, I, def- I know that some people think, oh, I'll just go on a 10 day silent retreat and I'll just rewire myself and solve all my problems. And that can have a really big um, effect on them when they do that kind of thing. That that can really backfire. So yeah, be very careful if you're going to take on any intense kind of practice.
0: Yeah, sure. I suppose when people are suffering, there's that like desperation, right? Of just mm. like yeah, of just of reaching out and going going all in. But yeah, and um, just something I wanted to touch on, Jimmy, before I let you go because I'm very conscious of your time, mate. But it's something I've seen you talk about on your social media, and that's the 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 three levels of uh, happiness. And I was wondering if we could just uh, just go through that for me, please, mate.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I love talking about this. So I like to think that there are three levels to happiness. It's just a nice, easy way of thinking about it. Uh, The first level we could call surface level happiness. And that's the typical things that might come up in life. For example, getting a promotion, buying a new car, uh, going on a date with somebody that you like. These are all Good things that are perfectly nice and we should all have them and we should enjoy them there's nothing wrong with them just because i call them surface level the thing is though they don't tend to last so they're very fleeting these things you get the promotion but a couple of weeks later you're thinking about the next promotion or you know the car doesn't seem as shiny and new as it did (laughs) a month later so enjoy these things while they come and go but if that's all that's all your happiness consists of you'll probably find it's a bit empty so then i say there's a level another level which i call deep happiness and that is where it's a kind of happiness that's much more robust and more long-lasting this is the kind of happiness that comes from a more serious relationship for example um or from having children or from just working on your character a lot of the kind of um things that Jordan Peterson talks about when he says don't chase happiness chase meaning well he's really kind of saying if you chase meaning you get a more robust kind of happiness in your life that's more long-lasting and enduring so that's kind of uh, also what a lot of ancient spiritual teachings are about it's about finding a happiness that's through something more than just the fleeting things that come along in life. But then I say there's another level to this as well. So we've got surface level happiness, deep happiness. There's another one, which I call pure happiness. And this is the kind of happiness that can arise through meditation, which is simply the joy of your own inner being. It's not attached to anything and it has no person, place or object involved whatsoever. It simply arises spontaneously when you kind of call off the search and stop trying to get something stop trying to be something stop trying to do something and recognize by taking a backward step that your your own consciousness is itself vast pure empty but also luminous and has a nature of bliss and most of us will miss this as we go about our lives because we're so focused on the objects appearing in consciousness we never really take a A look at what or have a feel of what our consciousness is like when it's object-free and this has been a huge revelation in my own life the fact that happiness was there the whole time (laughs) and yeah you know I was too busy looking past it to really settle back into it and so yeah I like to I like to say it in this way because when people hear that and then they go looking for it, a lot of people have come to me and said, yeah, I, I really get that. Now I understand what you're saying, because there is a, an innate bliss that just seems to arise spontaneously when you get quite, I wouldn't say good at meditating, but when you get past the early sort of confused stages of learning to meditate.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's really lovely. I think there's so many um, things in life that take us away from that. Right and we're like constantly chasing happiness as if it's something that can be caught and held and, and kept onto and that constant, that not happening because it can't happen. It, it's almost a sense of failure, isn't it? And um, yeah, I think that's something that really contributes to, uh, to poor mental health. It's something I, I've learned. I never really thought of until I started this podcast and talking to more and more people. And when we're kind of not, we're chasing something and almost putting on different faces for different scenarios and not living in that authentic authentic way Um, it can cause us all sorts of problems in the long term but that idea of being able to kind of not be chasing those things and um, yeah find some get more of an idea of of who we are and and what we really want from life I think that's a really powerful and empowering thing
1: Mm, yeah I like that absolutely and also when you do take a dip into the pure happiness you feel more free to enjoy the surface level happiness but without needing to be attached to it or to hold on to it
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah,
1: it it works across all levels.
0: Yeah, no that's lovely. That's really um yeah, it's a beautiful way that that you, that you put that mate. And um yeah, yeah, thank you very much. And thank you very much for your time today. It's a uh, it's really cool. I'll make sure that the links to your website and your social media. Your social media is fantastic by the way, mate. I I've, I've followed you for for quite a long time and your way of um, explaining some of these things and making it uh, relatable and accessible, I think is absolutely uh, brilliant, but I'll make sure all the, all the links and stuff are in, um, in the episode notes. But if people wanted to work with you, do you coach one-on-one or as a group or how does your own, your own process work, mate?
1: Normally, it's just um, I like doing the courses. I run one course a month. It's all done over Zoom, so you can join from anywhere. And you can find that at delvedeep.com. If people did want to work with me one on one, I'm open to it, but I don't really push that. I just let people seek me out, and if there's a good fit or if I think I can help them, um, I- I'm open to it. But generally, I like taking a group through the process um, because there's something about the group dynamic I find really interesting. If you've got say 15 people on a course like the one I'm running at the moment, you can give everybody the information you can take them through the guided meditations and then afterwards we'll have a bit of a q a and see how people feel and they can share their experiences and you get a real broad range of experiences and emotions and you know a number of different journeys going on all at once and uh, yeah i really i really like facilitating that process so that's my favorite thing to do but sometimes people in other countries they can't make it so i do one-on-one with them because it's uh just more convenient yeah
0: yeah, I know. I suppose, uh, you know, bring us full circle that idea of um, doing it as a group and that community, it takes us all the way back to where these, these processes originated from, right, when we were group focused and community focused in everything we did, rather than these modern lives that can be quite sort of separated and, and isolated. So I suppose there is something really lovely about that, about that as well.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Meditating together is a completely different experience, even over Zoom.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh mate, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, mate. You've given me so much to um to think about. That was really, really lovely to um to get that from your perspective. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: No props. Thanks for having me on. It's been really great. Appreciate it. Oh, cheers, mate. for listening from the proper mental podcast please like and subscribe